Welcome to Creative Writing, the best podcast you're listening to right now. Unless, of course, you have two devices running and you're listening to two podcasts simultaneously. In which case, the other one is probably better. Hey, dudes, it's me, the producer of Creative Writing Podcast. Welcome to episode eight. Oh my god, am I peeking? I'm totally peeking. Chill it out a little bit. Oh my god. Alright, let's see if I can keep this under control. We're not starting out this year on the best of circumstances. And I'll tell you about that in a second. Well, as it turns out, doing a wheelie ain't always the best thing. So, this is the producer for Creative Writing Podcast. No host this week again. And last episode, I just said um and blub and glog glog and I didn't rant and the numbers went down. I took advice from my wife and although I totally recommend doing that at all, at all times under any circumstance, it seems like it hurt last week's numbers. Now that I'm paying for stats on SoundCloud and I can see how many plays each episode gets, well, last part two of 10 Things You Can't Live Without was really a turd. They say you can't polish a turd, and I tried, I guess, by re-editing and re-editing, and it turned out it took took away my vim and vigor that's normally present in the show. Well, this week is uh, very tragic. I'm going to... I recorded something on... Uh, on a digital recorder, and I'm just going to drop it in here. And I, th- I think I explained it on there. But what happened is my my uh, USB mic quit working. And I don't have an XLR plug that goes into my computer. So what's going to happen is I'm going to have to buy a mixer or something, get that back online to get my voice into this little box here. So I hope the uh, audio is okay. And I hope that um, I'm not feeling really well. So I'm glad I recorded some of this earlier. And... uh we started a Facebook page. The creator of the show uh, started it and threw me on as an admin. So if you see a request from him or me, uh, go ahead and uh, join the fun. And it's just one more thing we have to keep up with now, but it's probably totally worth it. And uh, it's a good way to connect with people, if nothing else. Um, our Tumblr page is blowing up. We're really, really stoked to have, I think we have 80 followers, which is you know, it's not 20,000, but it's a start for just a word of mouth. Nobody even knows we have it. So that's pretty good. People just like the images that we throw on there. So, um, yeah, um, we hope you're having a good time uh, in 2016. This is our first podcast of the year since we split the one we recorded at the end of the year right into two. And uh, aside from microphones blowing up and me not feeling well, let's just Go ahead and get this motherfucker started. What do you say? Oh, and there was a crazy request for Krampus to come back. So uh, I I called him, and uh, you may or may not hear him later in this episode. So stay tuned. Let's uh, pop a wheelie in our pants and get on with the beginning of this episode. All right, thanks. Bye. Segment one, back by popular request. Ranting! Unlimited rants! Let's get this party started!
Blah, 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 blah. So, it's not the best way to start off 2016, but here I am. This is the producer for creative writing. And as I'm currently speaking, as I'm currently hitting the peak limiter on this new recorder, uh, yeah, my Mac, my Mac, uh, for some reason, my ATR2100 quit working last night after I talked to my brother on Skype. And now my Mac, I upgraded to OS X 10, El Capitan, and apparently uh, my computer hasn't decided that it wants to fully uh, go with that transaction yet or not. So here I am recording on a Christmas gift I got, which is a field recorder. And so you'll probably hear my voice modulate several thousand times as uh, hopefully my computer comes back online and I start recording into my digital audio workstation. But yeah, not the best way to start off this new year. What the hell? So right now, you're going to hear me... Oh, it's cold. You're going to hear me go out into the garage and I'm just going to ramble off some random shit while I work on my bike because you know what I've been neglecting the bike for the podcast and sometimes vice versa and I have been posting almost nothing to my blog page so I need to uh having kicked up the Facebook action I know a lot of people use Facebook as a blog and I really didn't want to start a Facebook page but it's a way to connect with people and link up so I've done it, and um, so on today's show, um, there's a couple things I'm going to cover. I just spent this past weekend down in San Diego for the Ivy League flat track races, and uh, when I raced there this summer, and the other time I went, it was pretty, um, how do I say this, it was pretty grassroots and open to the public and now I really underestimated the velocity at which they are growing and uh, the stage to which they have become attuned because I emailed uh oh sorry to stop in mid-sentence like that I just realized that uh, I left my side garage door open all night last night. I've got tons of shit in here, and none of it's gone, so nothing happened. All right, so anyway, yeah, uh, I think I was saying that I had emailed um, Brian Bell last time when I raced to just, to just to verify my class since I was racing with some big boys. I rode my 250 down there and raced it in the hooligan class, which is mostly like, you know, a lot of sporties that are 1,200 and, and, and more. And so this time I emailed him a few days before. My friend was going to be racing down there. I wanted to get an interview with her for the podcast. She ended up getting getting sick. But um, I didn't hear back from him anyway, or his uh, girlfriend who helps. Uh, she busts her ass running around doing the results on the fly. And it's really cool to go to one of their events and just see, you know, how how uh, how much everybody really is just hauling ass around there trying to keep things together in real time uh, using good old-fashioned pen and paper and... 
whatnot, whatever needs to be done to make things work. So it was really cool. And so she e emailed me back last time. Um, and this time, nothing, man. And I realized it was a couple days before the uh, opener, the season opener, when I emailed them. But it's really weird. Uh, last time, they were really um, communicating with people up until that morning. And um, I don't know. make a long story short, I think I really underestimated <laughs> the... Uh, I, there were the people there this time that were taking photos weren't just dudes. Last time when I was there, you could hop off your bike in the pits, run into the middle of the track before somebody started, before a race started, and take photos and hang out. And this time, it looked like everybody there had full-on uh, media passes, and at least they had on all the photographers had on. Um, you know, high-vis yellow vests, everything was much more regulated. Let's just say it wasn't a bunch of hillbillies racing around a dirt track in a horse arena this time. This time it was pretty fucking professional looking. And I took for granted the amount of accessibility I had last time and did not account for this new level of professionalism which has apparently befallen the uh, Ivy League flat track. And that's fine. That's good. They're actually putting on a um, AMA event later, I think in September, out at Paris, which would be really cool to go to. I'm going to pause this. I, this thing's going to rattle a bunch and pick up some noise if I don't pause it. So one moment. All right. And I believe he said they are going to have a four-day event or three-day event out in Arizona at Arizona Bike Week or whatever track it is that they race out there in Arizona. Um, they're going to have a, a four-day event out there, which is really cool. And uh, I thought that was pretty awesome sounding. Fuck, I forgot what I was coming out here to do. Oh, yeah, that's right. So, yeah, I'll be posting up some pictures, and uh, all my pictures turned out crap because uh, the first time I went, it was daylight, and this time it was night. So the pictures, my flash on my camera isn't like a huge professional um, photo photographer's, you know, fill flash that can fill up a f the half of the Grand Canyon. And also, I was sitting in the stands as close as you could get to the arena, but it was still, um, like, I don't know. It was a little ways from the track. And uh, you could see in the videos and in any photos that you see online that there was a, a nice barrier between the track and the stands. It's, it's, about a, it's like a sidewalk's width, and there's a wheelchair ramp. So, I mean... It was far enough back to where the pictures I got were illuminated only by the stadium lighting uh, available in the arena, and that wasn't that much. I periscoped it for anybody that paid attention and got that, and that was a lot of fun. <clears throat> and there's a guy there that has gone to a lot of the, um, the flat track races, and up at, if you're familiar with San Diego, the Barona drags, and it looks like he probably races modified stocks somewhere. Um, 
He is seven Zerex Z E R E X the number seven and then Zerex. And if you look up that on YouTube, he got the whole event. He separated it. Um, it looks really good. I did the same thing audio recording wise. I watched. I, I recorded all the heat races, and then uh, got a little. Uh, tried to go into the pits and get a little interview, and you'll hear that in a little bit. But that's why I was saying that uh, I took for granted the amount of accessibility that you you had there. So anyway, yeah, he. Um, I, I basically uh, got audio of the heats, and then I periscoped the mains. The hooligan class had five heat races and two mains i mean and then they had a hooligan modified which was really just a couple street bikes that were out there um i don't know what they're modified maybe it was hooligan stock and there were pretty pretty stock bikes that were street legal with brakes and all that stuff so um yeah i will i will let you hear that the second thing i want to talk about is i took advice from my wife on the last uh, show and I split it. I split the audio into two. The first one I left pretty much unedited. The second one I edited the hell out of and cut my rantings down to like 10 minutes from what was 45 minutes of ranting and rambling and whatnot. And um, my numbers went way down. So apparently I did something wrong. And apparently uh, it wasn't the right move to make. Oh, dude, these... Hey, and if you have a set of rubber, like the manifold <coughs> rubbers for a KZ550, could you uh, send them my way? Of course, these things, they don't make these anymore. And, of course, these ones look like they've been shot with a shotgun, shit on twice, and then ran over. So I could probably salvage these two. I'm thinking my friend, who I'll probably have on the show at some point, uh, maybe he can use his 3D printer. If we can scan these, this this one's good. If we can scan this good one, maybe he can 3D print me some out of something that's almost the same material as this. So we'll see. 3D printing. I think I'm going to fall in love with this stuff in the future. So, All right. And anyway, another thing I wanted to rant about was... Uh, on my way down on my way down there to the flat tracks I passed Anaheim it was going off and I said motocross I mean arena cross and it was super cross dudes nobody emailed me nobody gave me hate email about that so I was really really happy about that of course anybody that probably rides motocross and supercross doesn't listen to a, a show by an idiot who doesn't cover that stuff so but anyway yeah Anaheim was going off and the parking lot was full and packed and then apparently there was some drama there with Weston Peck and, and it was a really good show if you're into arena cross uh, and uh, super cross <laughs> why can't I just say the right word uh, unless you're into in jockey cross so yeah um, that was a eventful uh, race and then I think they go down to San Diego and then I think they're back here the 23rd and uh, also my friend who runs the San Diego Tun Up is um, 
speaking of being in San Diego, right after that, when they come back to Anaheim is when the San Diego Mods versus Rockers is happening. And uh, I was going to hit hit that up, but uh, it's January 24th, I think. It's like a three-day thing. Usually it's Friday and Saturday nights. There's like meet and greets and bands and barbecues and beers and fun and uh, pre-ride events. And then the ride is on Sunday, and the Sunday ride is super cool. I usually ride down for it. Quick edit from the future. The San Diego Ton Up Club's Mod vs. Rockers ride is going to be January 31st, which is a Sunday. That's why I'm not going. I realized when I was saying this that it sounded weird being the 24th, but that's because it's not. Last year's ride was closer to the 24th. I come back. Last year, uh, I borrowed my friend Sarah's CB400 and did it because uh, I didn't want to ride my bike all the way down. Um... And then this year is, I'm not going to go, it's my daughter's birthday um, a few days after that. So what I'm going to do is, uh, I'm not going to go to the ride, but uh, my friends that go on it, maybe they'll come on the show and tell us how it was, or maybe I'll just call them and get a little ride report, who knows. But uh, I digress, getting back to where I was saying on my way down to San Diego, uh, passing Anaheim, I, a couple things happened to me. It was raining. So people were driving like total dickheads because this is Southern California and no one knows how to drive. Either they drive like 43 miles an hour or they do a hundred. They're like, if I die, I'm going to go out in style. And it, it reminded me of, um, some riding tips and some riding, uh, what would you call these? Some just not a dogma, but I guess a dogma, like a riding mantra, anything like that. So about riding next to cars here, and the and, and when I went down to, um, when I actually rode the flat track last summer, <laughs> I crashed and made it all the way home just fine, but it was, on the, it was on the track is where I felt the safest. It was on the road home where I almost got ran over by a dude in a minivan, um, I haven't told my wife this yet, but yeah, I was in the fast lane and this guy in this Toyota Sienna starts coming over and he didn't even look. He just starts coming over and I am basically at his uh, left quarter panel and I'm like between his, the driver door and the left quarter panel. So like right where the sliding door opens on the side. And I have nowhere to go because over in the carpool lane, I look at my mirror and I was going to just drift over to the carpool lane out of the fast lane. And in the carpool lane, this dude and his son is hauling up in this Honda, like maybe it was a Honda Civic or something like that. And so I, I I can't do anything. And I had taken my horn off my bike to race, you know, weight savings, (laughs) saved a whole, uh, I don't know, five ounces. So... Um, I had taken it off and cause I didn't have a place to mount it when I put the number plate on it. I do now I've, I've reattached it and, uh, I made a, made a mounting bracket for it and mounted it back up under there because it is invaluable. And I, I love how people rev bomb in traffic and they think that that's going to somehow alert a car driver who doesn't, is not familiar with that sound that all of a sudden there's some dickhead next to them that wants to go by. A horn, man. A horn is your best line of defense. Drivers hear it. Drivers know what it is. Drivers are f- familiar with the sound 
that's why they make horns sound like horns and not like revving engines is because uh, you're in a car, you're, all you're hearing is an engine. There's p- other cars zooming by you with different sounding engines. So what's one more engine just a little bit louder? Um, use your horn, dick face. So I did not have a horn to use or else I would have honked at this guy. But what happened was I ended up getting squeezed in between this dude that's merging over at 70 miles an hour. And this other little car that's coming up at 80 miles an hour. I don't think he was, he was probably doing 75. So here I was. Uh, I didn't want to go into the bumpies. And on the carpool lane, it's a double yellow. You know, two double yellows, basically. And a bunch of um, reflectors on each side of the double yellows. So it would have been going like on a bumpy painted uh, line so at 70 miles an hour I don't know I do it all the time when I split lanes but I'm only doing like 40 or 50 so I didn't want to cross over that at 70 and not keep going into the carpool lane you know I would have been riding in there so basically I like reach over and I'm like trying to kick the guy's door because he's literally getting that close to me and I reach out and I kick a couple times with my feet and I start to veer and I look back to my left foot and it's literally three inches from the guy's bumper the white car that's coming up on my left and I all I see is white I mean my out of my peripheral vision it's just focusing on white and so I'm just like at that point I was I think I was barely my tire was rubbing the um, reflectors that separate the lanes I wasn't fully on them yet and like uh, squiggling around but my tire was uh, kissing him. Let's just say that. And all I could see was this white blob in my per- peripheral vision and this green Toyota Sienna blob coming over in my other peripheral vision. And I just looked straight ahead and was like, tried to kick. I don't think I made contact with this door, but at that point, like I'm literally right next to him. And he's just looking straight ahead. And when he looks over next to him, or maybe his wife said something, we, we met eyes, you know, our, uh, he made eye contact with me and he, oh, 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 and he got right back over. But that was a pretty intense, you know, it was probably only a few seconds, but time slowed down as like my brain was calculating all these things that are happening at once. And it really wasn't my fault. I always practiced this mantra. And the thing that got me started on this whole rant was this mantra of the death zone. And what I consider the death zone is... Riding right next to somebody, um, especially when you're, most of the streets around here are at least three lanes, and then there's a lot of two lane stuff, and that doesn't matter, but I still don't ride next to people on two lane stuff, just because if they don't look and they get over, you're the only place they've got to go, so they're going to get over into you. But definitely on the freeway, definitely on any of the three lane boulevards that go around town here. I never ride in between people or even next to people. And I sure as hell don't ride in their blind spot, like back by the quarter panels. And if you're uh, not familiar with the car, the front two corners are called the left and right fenders. The rear two corners are called the left and right quarter panels. And then, of course, you have the trunk and then you have the hood. So you don't want to smash into either of those things either. So don't let people tailgate you and don't ride too close to people. 
So that's my thing. It's like keep your space your space. I have this like little invisible square around me. And it's basically if you were to look at like the California driver handbook, probably they have it mapped out. If anybody wants a really rusty KZ550 headlight housing, I got one for sale. It's chrome. I'll clean it up for you. So um, anyway, yeah, my the death zone is what I try to stay out of. And that's the area. Uh, that's basically the area that is uh, immediately right or left of somebody. Uh, and even at the quarter panel, like anywhere where they're going to get over unexpectedly, or I've seen this happen, there's a cardboard box in the road. You're looking at the cardboard box. Hell, it might be empty and it's not going to hurt your car, but you don't, you don't know that. It might even be like a piece of paper that looks like... Uh, a wad of clothing or like a sandbagger you don't know what it is until you're like pat you know passing it so what you do you don't look you you look where you want to go or hopefully some drivers even target fixate and just like swerve so they're still looking at it while they're swerving they're not looking next to them and they're not looking at you if you're in that zone if you're in the quote unquote death zone and heaven forbid they fucking slam on their brakes like an idiot instead of like just going around something um, maybe, maybe they do. Maybe there's a chair fell off of a truck or something, or you know, there's a trash can. I've seen trash cans just that have fallen out of landscaping trucks, and they're empty. But you still don't want to hit an empty, empty trash can in, in a plastic car nowadays. It'll still rip a bumper cover, or like you know, could dent your fender, break your grill. There, it's your car is made of plastic too. So plastic on plastic ain't that friendly. So maybe they slam on their brakes. Uh, to miss that or a pedestrian, who knows why they do it. Uh, so yeah, just try not to ride too close to people and try not to ride in their blind spots because if they swerve to miss that stuff, they're like I said, they're not going to be looking at you. They're going to be looking ahead to make sure they're going to miss this thing and the last thing on their mind is the invisible motorcyclist in the lane next to them. Excuse me. Oh shit, I need to pump up the tires. Both of them? Shit. Oh, nothing like pushing a bike with flats. Okay, so, yeah, so, yeah, my mantra, stay out of the death zone, and um, when I found myself in it, it wasn't my fault. I, I had purposely been riding where I was, and this guy in the minivan was just kind of came over without looking, and I had a lane to go into, which was the carpool lane. But I checked my mirror before I got over and see this guy in the Civic. And, of course, that takes away my safety line. So, yeah, note to self. I mean, sometimes you find yourself in that sort of situation. Horn would have been fucking awesome. And so that's why I put my horn back on. That will never happen to me again. And if it does, you'll hear about it on here. So I noticed that on the way down to San Diego. And that's something that caught my my mind because even in my car I don't do that I don't ride in between people and tailgate people and next people and if there's somebody next to me I make sure I haul ass past them motherfucker's still leaking so anyway I haul ass past them make sure that they see me there and then if they pass me again that's fine I don't it's not a race it's not NASCAR but at least I know that they know I'm there if they're passing me. And 
they've seen me in front of them, they should remember that I'm there in case they have to swerve again or something. Wow. I filled up my oil catch can so full that it's bulging at the bottom and it will not. Just the own weight of itself sitting on the ground is making the oil bubble out. I have to lift it up just a little bit so that the oil can push the back wall of it down a little bit just to let the couple tablespoons of oil that are sitting on top suck back in. I think it's time to go down to AutoZone and drop it off in their recycle bin. So I'm going to pause here and go do that and then I'll come back and tell you about the podcasts that I listen to on the way to San Diego to watch the Del Mar Flat Track. Peace out. All right, well, I'm a little sick today. I've edited this like three times because I kept coughing in your ear. But one of the podcasts I listened to was um, Cleveland Moto. And I'm going to play a previously recorded rant about something that they had talked about now. All right, let me turn off this so you can't hear it. All right. Well, listening to the Cleveland Moto podcast on the way down to the Ivy League flat track event at Del Mar was really a kick in the ass. Their shows are always informative on some level, and you always walk away laughing at one thing they mention or learning from another. And I wish I would have put recorded the episode in my little voice note, because I, I don't know what it was. 110 is their latest one, but I think it might have been one before that. Um, they, they started talking about the excitements that bikes can bring because of their foibles and questionable reliability, and one manufacturer that came up resonated with me, and this is why I wish I had written down the episode, because to me it seemed like they had talked about it for a little bit, but sometimes I just hear one sentence, and it makes my brain explode and I, you know, that's all it takes is a few words. So, um, to get to the point, it wasn't because of the OE's character, the unruly rides that they've created or the unreliable excitement that the riders provided with when the motorcycle suddenly and immediately exercises its quote, renowned character flaw. No, this, uh, OE stood out to me because of their lack of the aforementioned woes. And in fact, this manufacturer has always been known as friendly and reliable. And since the, in the 80s and 90s, we were encouraged to follow the leader on this particular brand. Yes, I'm talking about Honda. Uh, I mentioned in a previous creative writing podcast that Honda is not known for their outlandish performance claims, uh, a.k.a. the H2R, the R1M, the RC... 213 VS, all that great stuff, which I don't think has actually made uh, any solid numbers. They are not known for their bad boy image or their outrageous styling. Well, hang on. That last comment can be demolished with a wrecking ball wrought from the crushed bodies of the DN01, the NM4, the Rune, and uh, some of the early Dream models that were totally hideous to look at. And I'm sure they've had a few others that I can't remember. Um, but anyway, to get back to the point, Honda is not, um, and that's omitting all their concept vehicles, an extremely exciting company. 
And it's true, they re did recently release a street version of their MotoGP bike, but that can kind of be lumped in with the concepts because the price tag and limited produ production number basically relegates it to that classification. And, you know, the Africa Twin was one of the most looked at bikes at the IMS show in Long Beach that I went to, uh, but I have to say that uh, it wasn't particularly exciting and it's, you know, they, they had the Africa Twin and the Trans out before, so it wasn't a, a new bike. It was just like um, a redesign, a reboot, or an, an upgrade, basically. Um, I'll say that it's much better than Chevy bringing back the Malibu uh, as a shitty little sedan. And it's better than Dodge bringing back the Charger, or the Dart, even, as equally shitty sedans. But it was really just a reintroduction of a past model with upgrades. Um, what Honda is known for is sterilizing things altogether. I've never ridden them, but their DCT trannies are said to have reduced the riding experience down to e-bike standards. And I rode a Brahma before, uh, before they had uh, the, before they partnered with the company that makes the shifting transmissions. And actually, some e, you know, a lot of electronic or electric bikes. That's what the riders say they miss is the clutch. And so Bramo, which is now, of course, Victory, has uh, got with the company to make a, 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 a basically a shiftable transmission for their bikes just because riders were missing that feel. So even the e-bike companies are going towards something that Honda is going away from with their DCT trannies. Um, they took a custom chopper and turned it into a machine that has less character than Jeffrey Dahmer. And that's, if you look at a Fury... It is like the most sterile computer animated. Sometimes you're, when you're looking at a studio picture, it's hard to tell if you're looking at a Photoshop of it because it's literally that flat and uncharacteristic and it's that unremarkable. And about as Cleveland Moto stated, they mentioned the Honda uh, Super Blackbird. And so I think about as daring as Honda gets with uh, with their motorcycles as their naming conventions. They got really cool names like the Fireblade and the Super Blackbird and, uh, you know, things like that. But uh, the Super Blackbird, even if it was their attempt to make the fastest production motorcycle, it really just looked like a larger, bulkier version of the CBR1000RR from that same era. And really, I was thinking about it, and it kind of was, I was churning this in my brain as they were talking, and what do you expect from a company that considers itself helpful and washes its marketing signage in light blue? I mean, what do you expect, you know? They have uh, videos out, I've seen videos of motorcycle and car factories uh, where the QA inspectors are literally wearing white gloves and all the factory workers are required to wear white and it's super super sanitized looking um, you know the ads from Honda way back in the day start with you meet the friendliest people you know and they've continued to reflect the benevolent attitude with all the helpful Honda philanthropists in the current ads you know they're basically helping people out so um before I continue, Blue uh, was, there was a study done, or actually I guess maybe a conglomeration of studies that um, have scientifically proven Blue to be an extremely social color, and that's why all the major social media sites like Facebook, 
Twitter and Tumblr use it in their designs. And if you look at a lot of uh, social companies or a lot of companies that um, are trying to market um, productivity and group work, teamwork, they use a lot of blue in their logos. And heck, our company even has blue in their as their logo. So, so that's you know they're the ones that started that. Everything's blue all the time, and and they're just a friendly company. So really, they are the furthest thing from a bad boy image that Harley riders enjoy, even though you have to be a law-abiding doctor or lawyer to afford some of the bigger baggers nowadays. Uh, Honda does not have that luxury. And what I consider them, instead of the bad boys, Honda is more like the high school cheerleader that suddenly throws away, or ah, doesn't throw away, stashes her uh, Britney Spears albums or her One Direction albums or his under the bed, and they start listening to rock, like not even like heavy metal, but just you know something rocky or maybe even country, and then they wear black to school one day, and get out of their pastel colors, and like that cheerleader. Honda continues to get results and outperform the legitimate bad boy counterparts because they aren't full bad boy. And Honda just wins at everything. And just like that cheerleader that can kind of dress the part and test the waters and then come back and, you know, I actually uh, went to prom with a person like this and still manages to get, you know, top GPA and go to a great college they went and they looked at the dark side without their parents really knowing. And that's similar to what Honda does. Honda wins, just like this, the cheerleader boy or girl that we're talking about. Honda wins. They win MotoGP a lot. Marquez is one of the biggest names to come out of since, you know, in 2014 on. 2013 on. Um, Honda wins off-road a lot. They're famous for uh, the JCR team. And I want to say that uh, I want to say that Honda wins a lot of the motocross. I'm not sure about you know all the arena cross and supercross and motocross. Like I'm not sure percentage-wise with all the manufacturers like KTM and Husqvarna and stuff that are in there what Honda wins. But I know it's still pretty big, even with like uh, Yamaha and Suzuki being major players. I know Honda still has a pretty big hand in there. And uh, so just like the cheerleader that doesn't smoke pot or go to the local hangout where all the bad kids hang out, instead they study the bad crowd clandestinely and they see kind of what visual cues are needed to fit in and then they play with those in a safe fashion. And Honda does that and the result is a bagger, you know, the same class as Harley Davidson however, looks totally different. Honda's looks like more like a car than almost any of the OEMs out there. And in part, that might be because they're also one of the, you know, only OEMs that's in the automotive arena, at least in the U.S. Um, but they still continue to outperform in sales and safety. And the only, you know, the only reason they don't beat Harley is because Harley focuses on brand image and Harley sells more in the U.S. But worldwide, I believe Honda sells way more and they're second in the U.S. behind HD. So, yeah, that that uh, Cleveland Moto really sparked a little fire in my mind about, you know, Honda 
not being very exciting, and they really aren't. And uh, I remember that I had said how much they sterilize their products, and uh, they kind of do. And even when they do have like a crazy concept, like the NM4 or the DN01, um, they they look shit. They look total shit. They look like anime bikes. The DN01 looked like a maroon shark that you cruised around on. Um, I don't particularly like the CTX models because they look a little weird to me too. And I mean, I guess, see, Honda has always played with this styling that kind of keeps them out of the mainstream enough. Uh, well, out of the mainstream, hell, they sell, if they sell more than everybody, how can they be out of the mainstream? I guess what they do is they play with these styling cues that maybe distinguish them enough that the mainstream loves it or something. I don't know. It, if it's not that, it just must be the amenities that they have that keeps Honda on top and keeps people buying them. Um, either that or just pure market share. I mean, they have cruisers, standards, sport bikes, quads, you know, RUVs, utility vehicles, uh, utility quads, generators. I mean, maybe that's where they're, maybe that's where they're, uh, huge market share is coming from, but whatever it is, people seem to enjoy a Honda whenever they get on it. And I guess it's, uh, you know, depends on if you're looking for styling and image and brand image, which is definitely what you're looking for when you go with like a Harley or even like a star and, um, victory Indian, all that shit. Or if it, you know, if it's for, cause you're going to be cruising across country, which, uh, I think, you know, Honda has done that completely right. And Honda wants to compete with BMW. They don't want to be bad boys like Harley. So go ahead and let Harley have that market. I, I don't know what it is. But at any rate, Honda isn't very exciting. And um, they do have this way of of sterilizing stuff. But at the same time, making these like super reliable bikes that last forever. And uh, somehow end up coming out on top. <laughs> and uh, while being the most sterile bikes they sure do produce some uh, pretty good trophies in the arenas where they compete. All right, segment over. Got to move car. Bye. Well, that segment was a huge splash. See what it did there? All right. The next thing I wanted to talk about was uh, (laughs) segmenting. Segmenting. I don't want to talk about segmenting. I'm not a fucking worm. Segwaying right into the another podcast I was listening to is a motorcycle man. I just recently started listening to this one, and uh, they uh, mentioned why don't we see a Harley at the Dakar Rally? And you know the motorcycle men are big Harley guys, and um, they want to know why nobody's tried a Harley at the Dakar. Well, I'll tell you why. Uh, as far as I know, there may be some other some classes that they don't publicize um, that aren't highly publicized. I should say that you could enter it in. But the majority of the ones, uh, that doesn't fit any of the classes, I don't think. Most of the motorcycles that race are, um, I'm not 100% because it's been a while since I really watched the Dakar. But it's they're like 400cc, and I'm not sure if they're limited to that, but you know they're factory off-road bikes, and they're usually not over that, um, to my knowledge. And, uh, you know, for a long time I used to watch, back when it was televised again, I don't know where you can catch it now, but um, KTM used to win that thing every fucking year. It was it was pretty crazy. And then, of course, you know, Honda and 
the Yamaha used to do pretty well. And, um, yeah, Harley would just be so huge and heavy. Harley does not make a bike uh, that fits the classification to go in there. And I know you can, I know that there's classes really far down, just like in the Baja, where you can take like a stock VW Bug and run it in the Baja 1000. It's not a trophy truck or like a buggy or any of the specialty stuff that gets big press and television, but you can still do it. So I think the Dakar is the same way. I think that they have, there's like a lot of classes. Um, There might be one for huge giant cruiser bikes that people try to ride off road. So that brought me to something. The reason I say that the segue is from Honda's brand image to Harley's brand image is because Harley used to be into racing um, they still have the XR750 and flat track. I, and my my guess is that they're going to bring the XG700, or I'm sorry, the XG750 in, which is the Street 750 water-cooled. And people don't even like the V-Rod because it's water-cooled. And I think if they bring the, the Street 750 in, it might get a pass because they're doing flat tracking and Harley's always been in flat tracking. Gone are the days of Harley and road racing. We've seen them come and go. You know, Mert Lawell was the last one on like a super factory Harley. Um, I don't know if you like a cafe racer bike. And uh, the XR1200, uh, that was one of the coolest Harleys. It's come out in a long time. It was inspired by the XR750, but again, a huge, beefy bike. And Harley doesn't sell motorcycles based on that. And I think the fact that the XR1200 took like a year to get over here from Europe and then disappeared, and they might even still sell it. I, hell, uh, I should check. I know, I've, I know if they sell it over there, but right off the top of my head, I'm thinking that they don't because I haven't seen it in any of the parts catalogs for quite a long time. Um, but my point is, is that, you know, people won't do stuff on a Harley, or I'm sorry, Harley won't do stuff. People will have to do it on a Harley. And so that's why these guys, their question is pretty funny because you'll never see a Dakar uh, running, a Harley running Dakar unless someone does it. Harley will never actually do that. And there's a guy, I think his name's Jumpin' Jake or Jumpin' Jack in Australia, and he's like one of the first guys I saw jump an XR1200 through some huge-ass shocks and some knobby tires and uh, I seen somebody do a backflip on one shortly after they came out, and I don't know. I think that was somebody here. So people can uh, off-road those things pretty good, I guess. But and I met at the IMS show. I met a guy who uh, turns his uh, turned a sporty into a dual sport, and it's it was really bitching. And uh, so I mean, people can do it, but you'll never see Harley do it. And the reason being is that. Just like Honda has a has a image for being super sterile, super reliable, and you know, super uh, run of the mill, but successful. Same thing with Harley. They they know who their market is. They market to that market, and that's why they're so successful. And it's because of the brand image. They're not known for going off road, and they're not going to fuck up their brand image by trying it. You know what I mean? And the road racing series here, I, I really miss that XR1200 road racing series here because I thought the race bikes looked look really sweet. Um, I saw one in person. I think one of the Cretans here in L.A. 
has an has one that they race or maybe they got from somewhere or they you know they raced one. I'm not 100 percent sure, but I saw one at the Hanson Dam ride, and I thought, man, that's I miss the the way American bikes look. I used to love watching like Tyler O'Hara and all those guys go hell for leather around the track on them, and the thing is, is they're not competitive. Uh, they had to have their own class because they were, you know, they were tall, they were beefy, um, a super underpowered compared to like a inline four. And don't ask me how Ducati competes in MotoGP with the V twin, but um, Harley can't figure it out because uh, you know Harleys are torquey and cruiser uh, built for cruising, where you know Ducati. I think maybe Ducati's not the best racing bike either, but, uh, ah, oh Jesus. All right. I don't know if you heard that, but that was uh, my ringtone. I turned one of the songs that I used here on the show into a ringtone. Good for me. So anyway, um, forget about any other brand. Uh, what I wanted to say was basically Harley and why you'll never see him at Dakar is because that would ruin their brand image and that's one thing that Harley's done super successfully that no other manufacturer has done is have a brand image. When you buy a Harley product, whether it's a keychain or a motorcycle, you know exactly what people are going to think of you. And it's worldwide. They have dealerships all around the world that celebrate this type of stuff. And they're also one of the only manufacturers, aside you know, maybe from Victory and Indian, that don't have... Uh, you know, a full range of bikes that don't have sport bikes and, and off-road bikes. They're not into all that shit. They, they know where they lie and they, they lie in the brand. So that's what they do. So, so the last thing I want to do is leave you with the movie review. And I think I might start doing this every week. I started watching some really shitty motorcycle movies based on our episode, uh, Do You Like Being Called a Biker or whatever the hell called that so the first one i'd like to review here is uh motorcycle gang and this isn't the movie from the 1950s which i believe there was also a movie from 57 or something called motorcycle gang this movie comes straight to you from the 90s baby 1994 and it stars uh gerald mccraney who is a fabulous actor jake Busey who I guess is fabulous in his own right. And Carla Gugino, who uh, you might not recognize the name, but you look her up and you will definitely recognize the face. And uh, it, the tagline for this movie is, this California vacation turns into the road trip from hell. But I'll tell you what, uh, in the movie, I think they were moving. They weren't going on vacation. They were packing up their house and moving away to California from safesville usa and uh this movie had a lot of potential uh, potential to ruin your night but i'm just saying you know it, that's still some potential and one of the things that happens right in the beginning i'm gonna spoil this movie for you so i hope you don't mind um because i don't think you're gonna watch it but one of the first things that happens is joe mccraney's wife is apparently fooling around she's over with the neighbor who gives her a uh a lighter that has like her initials and his initials on it. And luckily for her, they're the same initials. Cause 
when Gerald McCraney questions her about it later, he doesn't have to put the pimp hand on her when she says, oh, that just stands for my name. He doesn't seem to question why this neighbor gave her such an elaborate gift. I think the, her initials are in diamonds. And he doesn't particularly like this, seem to like the fact that she smokes. Uh, Carla Gugino plays their teenage daughter, and hubba hubba. I mean, Carla Gugino is pretty damn cute. But uh, she doesn't really pass as a teenager. And, um, you know, I think she's in her 40s. And this movie, she probably was in her 20s. So, I mean, I guess it's not too much of a stretch. So, yeah, she plays just this uh, innocent little girl, which is some foreshadowing for you. And Gerald McCraney plays the dad, whose name is Cal. And Cal has a tattoo on his hand. I forget what it says, but... Makes you wonder, uh, was Cal in a motorcycle gang in the past? Well, it turns out no. I'm going to ruin that for you right here. So they're driving across the desert, and, uh, you know, there's always, like, parallel plots happening in these movies. So in, in their plot, he's traveling across country with his heartless wife and his young, innocent daughter. And... His daughter sees this cowboy in a bar, and the mom says, hey, you better watch it. You know, boys are dangerous. And the daughter says, oh, you know, something like, you know, I know, mom. You you should know, you know, I've seen you or whatever. Basically, she uh, lets the mom know that she knows her dirty little secret. And uh, what a hypocrite the mom is, saying that boys are dangerous, yet she's fooling around with every every guy in town except for dad, right? So there's your tension Right there, there's your plot tension. And uh, cue the bad biker. Jake Busey is the leader of a biker gang of three or four people. And uh, it doesn't really make much sense what they're doing, but apparently they're trying to get some drug money. And they end up killing their lawyer for whatever reason. And uh, they head, their, their plan is to head south to Mexico. So, of course, they have to pass through California. No other state borders Mexico. So as they're heading south after killing their lawyer buddy, you know, they hit small town after small town. And, of course, they go on a killing spree of sorts, or at least, uh, you know, they, they assert their badness on every town they visit and make everyone cower for their life and whatnot. And they hook up with this little waitress in this diner. They take her out, gangbang her in the wilderness, and shoot her up with heroin and leave her to die. Um, One of the best parts is when they decide to hit the road. Let's dump this waitress here and and leave. It's around 23 minutes. Fast forward if you have the guts to even, you know, if you have the constitution to be able to stomach this movie. Fast forward to 23 minutes and watch a guy fake kickstart a bike with an electric starter. It's like one of the best things ever. It's one thing to say, hey, dude, you know, act like this is an old-timey, you know, like anyone's ever going to watch this movie anyway. But if they do, they'll never notice that you just jump in the air like you're kickstarting a bike and there's no kickstart lever on it. Like, that guy just must have felt like a total douchebag doing that. And the fact that he even pretended, you know, the fact that the they don't usually check details like that, you know, in, in these low-budget movies. And so, for whatever reason, the guy said, yeah, it's a vintage bike, just jump like it's a kickstarter, no one will notice. Um, well, if no one's going to notice and no one even 
that's watching that movie knows that motorcycles didn't have electric starts back in the day. What's the point of doing that? So anyway, it that's where the, that's where the movie really jumps the shark is when the guy kickstarts an electric start bike, and it's so funny watching him do it. So maybe he just seen old Harley riders do that, and he thought maybe this is how you start it, and he jumped in the air, and then when his butt hit the seat, he pushed the starter button. I don't know. That's not for us to know. This movie is just for you to take in, be present, and accept what it feeds your eyes. Uh, fast forward down the line, they intersect with Cal's family, and of course he sees the hot-assed Gina Gacchino, and uh, what Gina Gacchino, Carla Gugino. And um, although Gina Gugino would be a really good name. So Jake Busey, whose character I believe is has some awesome biker name like um, Jake. <laughs> yeah, that's right. They couldn't think of a cool biker name. Just let's, what are we going to call Jake Busey? Oh, yeah, we'll call him Jake in this movie. Uh, what about the other guy? Oh, we'll call him Crab and the other guy I'll be Volker. But Jake will just stay Jake. So at any rate... Uh, Let's let's get this piece of shit over faster than the actual movie, right? I don't want to walk you through it real time. It's hard enough to stomach as it is. So fast forward, uh, Jake tails the family to a hotel where once again, Cal's wife is off hanging out with some uh, swinger, really laid back photographer types. I think they own the hotel. And uh, they're not doing nude photos or anything, but her and her daughter are in there hanging out with them while Cal is just staring out the window. Jake goes over and cuts the radiator hose on his car. There, The next day, there's a scene where the car breaks down, of course, in the desert. And uh, Cal goes walks all the way back to the hotel to uh, get some help. And while he's gone... Uh, of course, the biker gang swoops up, swoops up on that on those cherry bitches, and uh, comes down. And they can't get the mom, but they grab the daughter, played by Carla Gugino. They make off with her, and then right as the dad's coming back, and so he sees it happening, and uh, Jake Busey makes off with her and says, "Hey, baby, those other two guys are after us. We better head south." And the other two guys go their own ways. And then at that point, you don't know what's going on. But Cal says, we're going to find her. But I need you to be with me. Telling his wife, no more of this infidelity, whether it's physical or mental. It's you and me now, baby, if we're going to get our daughter back. Jake hits the border with the girl named Leanne, played by CG. And for whatever reason, the Mexican guys don't like him. And he speaks. He tries to negotiate some deal in some very poor Spanish, I might add. When the Mexicans uh, refuse to do business with them, he heads toward the shack. At the shack, there's a little bit of simulated rough trade with him and between him and Leanne, but neither of them takes off their pants. So I don't know how they did that. But there was a climax. His buddies show up later, and he tells Carla Gugino's character. Don't worry, baby, i got to keep you safe from those guys, full well knowing that they're going to rendezvous down there. And it, and it was no surprise. You're like, what? When did they say he, he was ditching them? Like, yeah, I don't know. I don't know who that was supposed to fake out, if it was supposed to be some, like, plot point or something that you weren't paying attention and you missed it. But when they all three rendezvous down there, you know what's going to happen. And uh, just about the time when old Leanne is going to get the three-way from uh, Crab and Volker and Jake... That's when good old mom and dad show up, and they are driving an extremely loud old car, so don't tell me how nobody heard it, but uh, 
what happens is um, they they come to the cavalry comes in, and I believe this is about right around the one hour mark or one hour and fifteen minute mark. And this is where things get crazy because this is where the family teams up, and uh, we learn that Cal knows karate at this point. And what he does is some fancy hand-to-hand arm breaking on one of the guys. And uh, I think he kills one guy with a shovel. And then uh, as Jake's running out, old mom comes in and saves the day with a, a stab to the guts. And pretty soon the family has uh, killed the baddies and reduced themselves to murderers, which uh, brings them down basically to the same level that the bikers <laughs> the three biker gang uh was was at so who who's the winner of this story is it uh cal for saving his family no i don't think so they are uh, they're all murderers down in mexico now too so what you have on your hands is a crappy movie where everybody ends up being a murderer in the end and uh lots of blood and guts in mexico which is just about how i picture mexico so that's motorcycle gang in a nutshell i hope you enjoyed my movie and uh, now to wrap up the show. All right. Well, hey, listen. Uh, all it took was a slight rap to the side of my mic, and the USB is working again. So hopefully this thing uh, stays in commission, and I don't have to beat it every time I want to use it. And hopefully the output's coming out right now. It is. I can tell because I can see some sound waves. So here's the deal. I don't feel any better. But... uh I tried four times now to get the show out, and I've just I've fallen asleep every time because uh, my body is wiped. So here's the deal. We made it um, to the end, Yahoo. Sorry for the ranting. Now that I have the mic back working, uh, I guarantee you the next show, as long as this mic's working, the next show will be a little bit more concise and a little bit more informative. And here's what we have planned for next time. Um, we're going to do the things that I had uh, for today, or for this show, which I didn't get to talk about, which is a uh, new helmet technology. Uh, we'll, we'll talk a little bit about uh, British Superbike and a possible Transatlantic series, and uh, some of the other news that came out um, over the over the course of the month. Don't forget, uh, I already missed it today. I'm sorry I tried to get this show out uh, earlier, but... The Supercross is in San Diego today. And I'm sorry I did not get this announcement out in time. Um, Coming up on the 17th, the Venice Vintage Club is going to go down to Lhasa Engineering. And that kicks off, I believe, around 10 a.m. And um, goes until 4 p.m. And that's part of their Builder Series. Also on the 17th, Hell on Wheels is having their uh, vintage motorcycle swap meet, uh, free admission. It's from 9 till noon at the shop at 2701 South Main Street in Santa Ana. And I expect that they have all sorts of goodies for all sorts of uh, years and make of motorcycles. So check that out if you get a chance. The 23rd is... Supercross comes back to Anaheim. Also on the 23rd, the Hell on Wheels has their Mexican 1000 fundraiser fundraiser party at Alex's Bar in Long Beach. And that is going to 
be in the afternoon um, and evening. So go check that out if you get a chance. All the proceeds are going to be split between Team BA Motor Racing, Team Hell on Wheels, Team Yellow Jackets, and Team Black Milk 517. Racing all on Vintage Triumphs, apparently, according to their Instagram notification. And the day after that, the 24th, uh, go check out some steeplechase, also put on by Hell on Wheels, out at Glen Helen. And that's going to be on the um, trophy truck course. So that ought to be pretty sweet. February 6th, starting at, uh, well, the gates open at 5, but the racing starts at 6 p.m. Check out the Ivy League flat track down at Del Mar, 2260 Jimmy Durante Boulevard. They're having a race that celebrates women who ride. It's going to have a 100-lap main event with a $1,000 purse, and they're going to have a fancy hat contest and a fox hunt. And so even if you're spectating, that ought to be a pretty fun event to go check out. That's going to do it for now. We really need to say sorry to some people. So we're going to do that and then uh, get out of here and we'll get back at you next time. Probably next week. So here is the people we'd like to say sorry to. I'd like to say I'm sorry to my wife, SoundCloud, Facebook, Tumblr, and any media that uses a blue in their emblem Krampus, uh, Macintosh ATR2100 by Audio Technica, my brother Skype, Brian Bell and Ivy League Flat Track and his girlfriend and if that's not his girlfriend then the blonde that does all the hard work around there the AMA, Paris Raceway 7Zerex and we're going to actually link to a couple of his videos in the show notes because He's got some badass stuff up, and he's worth a check. KZ550s, Supercross, Motocross, and Arena Cross, the San Diego Ton Up Club, Mods vs. Rockers, Sarah and her CB400, my daughter, Toyota Siennas, Honda Civics, Auto Horns, Dick Faces, and the California DMV Rider Handbook, Cleveland Moto, Honda, the H2R, the R1M, and the RC213VS, the NM4, the DN01, the Rune, the Dream, the Ugly Dreams, the Africa Twin, the Transalp, Chevy Malibu, we're sorry, Dodge Charger and Dodge Dart, we're sorry, you used to be really cool looking, Bramo, DCT Transmissions, Victory, Honda Fury, we're sorry. Honda Super Blackbird, we're sorry. Honda Fireblade, CBR1000RR, and any other Honda that we may have mentioned, we're sorry. KTM, we're sorry. Husqvarna, we are sorry. Suzuki, we're sorry. Harley Riders, doctors and lawyers who ride them, we're sorry. High School Cheerleaders, we're sorry. Britney Spears, One Direction, we're sorry. We don't like you, though. Mark Marquez, we're sorry. MotoGP, we're sorry. Aha, the Honda CTX models, we're sorry. We knew we mentioned another Honda model in there. Star Motorcycles, Victory Motorcycles, Indian Motorcycles, and BMW Motorcycles, we are sorry. Motorcycle Man, we are sorry. We're going to put you in the show notes. The Dakar Rally, we're sorry. 
Yamaha, we're sorry. Baja 1000, we're sorry. VW Bugs, we're sorry. Street 750 and V-Rod and Mert Lawwell and the XR1200 and the XR750. Hell, Harley Davidson in general, we're sorry. You'll never be a Dakar, though. We're pretty sure of that. The Hanson Dam Ride, we are sorry. Tyler O'Hara, we are sorry. Ducati, we're sorry. Gerald McCraney, Jake Busey, and Carla Gugino, we are sorry. And anyone that is perhaps named Gina Gugino, we are also sorry to you. And that has been our show for this week. Peace out. Have a good one. See you next time. Hey, well. Oh, no, there's going to be a little bit of a rumble. Yeah. Right. There we go. There we go. So here they go. They're passing through California. They intersect Cal and his family. Okay. Good, good. Well, I put a pop filter on this because uh, I did notice that when I was in the garage, even though I had the microphone a ways away from me, it was picking up some peas, pop, 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 popping that shit. So I put a pop filter on it. And they, he decides that he has to have this hot cherry ass. And here we go. I'm going to tell you about a uh, 16-year-old girl played by Carla Gugino. Right, right before, uh, right before they segmenting, segmenting. I don't want to talk about segmenting. I'm not a fucking worm. God damn it! I missed one of the best parts. Right before they intersect with these people, I should probably back this up a little bit. This is turning out to be more terrible than it are, than this movie already is.